0: morning Uh, our first Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 6 verses 27 to 40 but to you who are listening I say love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you if someone slaps you on one cheek turn to them to the other also if someone takes your coat Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Today's second reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. This is the word of the Lord.
2: And I'm going to bring us a supplementary part to that reading. So reading on, if you've got your Bibles open, in Romans. So we just heard, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Uh, For those who are here, perhaps for the first time, we have a habit in this church of working through various books of the Bible. So it's not just, you know, the preacher gets up and tells a few of his favorite thoughts for the hundredth time. And so we've been working through Romans for some months, we're up to chapter 12. And um, we saw last week, as you've got chapters 1 to 11, all about what God has done in Jesus. People who think religion is about being good and earning points know nothing about Jesus. 11 chapters about what God has done in Jesus and what he's up to. You get to chapter 12 through to 15 and a half, and it's some of the ways in which you work that out. So, what if that's true? So we looked last week, because of his mercy, we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. The caution to not be conformed by the world that we live in, but rather to be transformed, it's an inside word out, by the renewing of our minds. And then he goes on in the rest of this chapter to then spell some of that out. So that's where we're up to. You hear sometimes people say that you know, Jesus never expected people to change and he was friends with all sorts of people. The second part is true. He was friends with all sorts of disreputables like me or you perhaps. But the idea that he just sort of you know, had a drink with them and a meal and that was it is just nonsense. As the old saying says, God loves us just as we are. But he loves us far too much to leave us as we are. Frankly, he loves your neighbours too much to leave you as you are as well. He does love us as we are with all of our faults and terrible faults sometimes. But his intention is to transform us, as chapter 12, verse 2 says. That's the big thing. God is in the business of transforming us. It's the, it's the, direct, it's the word we get the word metamorphosis from. That's what it is. That's directly from the original language. Some of you might have. There was a lady at the 8 o'clock service who had actually read a book by a guy called Franz Kafka who's a crazy author. I've read one book by him, The Trial. That will probably be the only book of his I'll read. I'm glad I read it. It was slow work. But he's got another one, which is called Metamorphosis, which is about a man who woke up and found that overnight he turned into a cockroach. And then it's the story about how's he going to do his travelling salesman job when he's a cockroach? How's he going to relate to his family now that he's become a cockroach? He had been Transformed. You see it with tadpoles becoming frogs. But the one that is, of course, most obvious is the magnificent, mysterious, beyond explanation. We can describe what happens. We've got no idea how we got to this point where an ugly looking, sluggy, wormy thing puts itself into a cocoon. And here's the thing I didn't realize it completely is melted down chemically. I just thought it just grew the odd wing. But actually, the whole thing has turned to slush don't do this, but if you were to open up one of these chrysalises in the middle point, it would just be gooey, yucky stuff. And then somehow rather, accidentally in that miraculous way, there's a recipe in there that turns it into a flying animal that functions completely differently. Normally they go from eating leaves to eating nectar and stuff like that. All this happens and develops by accident. I've seen all sorts of accidents just like that in my life. Because one of my favouritest ones that you might like to look up is the woolly bear caterpillar. But you really got to look up the word Arctic woolly bear caterpillar. Because the, the plants in the Arctic have got so little energy in them, because the sun is so weak up there, that this little sucker has accidentally developed to the point where it doesn't need enough to change. So when the winter comes, it's a very short summer, a very nasty winter, it just is frozen stiff everything stops. And then it's got the chemicals in it that get released at the right time so that when it defrosts, it isn't damaged. See, one of the problems you know, with Walt Disney being stuck in the, in the big you know, um, fridge is we know that when we defrost that sucker, he's gonna be, he's gonna be like a vegetable that's been frozen. You know, just it, it damages the cells. But this little sucker does it 11 times in a row before finally it gets enough energy to do the magic trick in the chrysalis, and it flies off. It's a story of transformation. I don't know if you've ever been transformed. I know when I, be- when I became a Christian, without boring with the details, I haven't gone from being a happy, loud atheist and slightly obnoxious. Um, we had a school reunion after 10 years, and my mum worked as a social worker with a woman whose son was at the same thing. He wasn't a close friend of mine. but. This woman went back to mum and said after a 10-year school reunion, he'd said that everyone was exactly the same as they were at school, just a bit older, He said, except Ian Powell. He was different. Uh, I think he meant for the better. Um, But over the 10 years, God God had had really changed things. I, I was often frustrated with how slow the change was. But transformation is what Jesus does. He accepts us in his love. And in his love, he sets to work to transform us. By the renewing of your mind is what it says. Not just by outward change. Next story is not true, but it's fun. Well, it doesn't start off fun. Unemployed man. Needs the money. Gets a job at the zoo. uh, Gets given a chimpanzee suit. Puts it on. And his job is, the chimpanzees have died, so that his job is to jump around in this big open sort of area as if he's a chimpanzee. And after he was a bit, thought it was a bit weird, but he needed the money. And after a few days he began to get a bit confident in his suit and began to sort of jump around and perform for the crowd. And the crowd were far enough away they apparently couldn't tell, although he would have been a fairly chunky chimpanzee, they're pretty lean. But he um, eventually he gets carried away and he begins to swing on the ropes and all sorts of stuff. And uh, the crowd's applauding, he gets to one end, he falls off. Falls over the wall next two minutes the lion pit. Regathers himself, sees a lion beautifully striding over to see him. He begins to panic. He stands up and yells, I'm not a chimpanzee. I'm a human being. I'm just doing this. Can somebody save me? Please don't let me be eaten by the lion. The lion comes over to him, breathes down his neck and says, shut up, you fool, or we'll all lose our jobs. <laughs> now, those sort of th- that is not what it is to become a Christian, just to sort of add a few external things. It's about transformation from the inside. It takes time. But it is done, he says here, by the renewing of your mind. The idea that someone is too clever and thinks too much to be a Christian, whatever it is you think you're not becoming, it's not Christian because the Bible is constantly asking you to think. Why do you think he gave you a brain? And it's the absence of thought that keeps people safe from meeting Jesus. It's the renewing of the mind. So the next verse he's going to give us, really the big theme as you heard, it's about love, isn't it? But that's not as boring as it sounds. Because the love that Jesus talks about is far more exciting than the nonsense we often go on with. We say, oh, just love each other. Firstly, love and humility, or love and being de-drunked. Verse 3. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 3, the very next thing. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us. It's the way you think of yourself is one of the first areas of transformation. And his problem here is not the modern sort of nonsense that everyone's got bad self-esteem. You know, if you're badly behaved, it's because you've got bad self-esteem. Nonsense. So we're growing out of that nonsense after decades of it. But he says the problem is human beings, and he says, I say this to everyone, that's me, you, our tendency is to think too highly of ourselves, to think that our opinions, et cetera, are the really significant ones. And if something disagrees with our opinion or something gets in the way of our agenda, they are in the wrong. And we need to stop thinking so highly of ourselves because what do you know? What do I know? People sometimes say to me, what do you think about that? Who cares what he even thinks? You know, I'm a mass-produced Australian. The only question is, what does God think? And according to Jesus, he has told you, you might not have ever bothered to look, but he's saying you don't think too highly of yourselves, but rather think of yourself with sober judgement. That is not like a drunk, but actually get a, a clear grip on who you are. He says, in accordance with the measure of faith. Now it's not saying that if you've got a lot of faith you can think, oh, well, I really am pretty impressive and unlike those people with a little faith, no, no, no. It's, it's the idea of, it's, it's the faith that is the standard of things. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, your trust in Jesus, it's got some positives and some negatives. It it implies a negative that you realise you you are the sort of person who needs a saviour. And that's why many people won't become Christians. Blindness to themselves, blindness to what God the judge is like, and they flatter themselves. You are the sort of person that that, that the faith that Jesus teaches will tell you, you need a saviour. You, you're in deep trouble when you stand before God. You can ignore Him, pretend he's not there, etc, etc. But in the end, you stand before him and he'll judge you by his law, not by your standards, which fluctuate depending on how you've been behaving. So at that point, the faith in Jesus Christ humbles us, but it also massively builds you up because it says, you are so valuable to God. He cares about you so much. You are precious in his sight that he will send his only son, not just to talk to us, but to die for you. And if I let one of my kids die for you, you know you're very valuable to me. So you matter to the one person that matters. You might be deeply ashamed of yourself. But God says, No, no you're not just rubbish. I, I love you. Yes, and, and that's the human, that's the sober mind. The Christian- that's why Christians can be so humble and yet so confident. If you talk to zillions of religious people from various parts of the world, as I've had the blessing of doing, only Christians can look you in the eye and say, I know that when I die I'm going to heaven, without being arrogant. So a friend of ours died and was buried on Friday, young man, 49, three lovely kids and beautiful wife, Uh, a royal flying doctor, service pilot, just a real asset to the world, and Otto dies. But he dies, not whistling a happy tune, pretending that everyone goes to heaven, which Jesus says they don't, but knowing where he's going, because his faith is in the one who's loved him and died for him. Is Otto saying, I'm so glorious, look at me, I work for the Royal Flying Doctor, blah, 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 blah. all this stuff that people, no, 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 he's saying, I'm a sinful person, God's son loved me and died for me. So it gives you sober judgment. He's saying, learn to think about yourself realistically in front of God and therefore in front of others. That will be the, the beginning place of how we live a life of love. Now the second thing he's going to go on much more quickly is, well, I don't know what to call this really, love and the weird first base. You know, I, I'm not a, a baseball player, never have. I've had a crack at softball. But um, you know, you've got to get the first base before you can get the home base, haven't you? So you, get, if you don't get the first base, you've got nothing. First base, second base, I think that's how it works. Correct me afterwards if I'm wrong, probably am. And this is the weird thing, this is the thing where I find the Bible so interestingly, it doesn't think the way that I think it should think. Where's the problem? Right? If you've got a high view of yourself, you think, oh, the Bible's so, so old. Right? Um, I'm so modern. No, no, no. When it, when it disagrees with me, I know who's wrong and who's right. It's right. Listen to what it says. Listen to the next topic. He's, he's talking about how can you be transformed? Right? How can you become the person God made you to be and God, as it were, envisage you of being? Listen to what he says next. I get you thinking, right? Humble your thinking. Verse four. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, that's obvious, these members do not all have the same function. Mm-hmm. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. He goes on and talks about Church, the gathering, whether it be in a home or wherever, or here, or anywhere, it seems to be, and I know, I'm not just sort of saying this, but, you know, just trying to advertise an area of business that I'm involved in, but it really does seem from, from the Scriptures, pretty much universally, if you want to be transformed, and if you're God's person, you do, and you want to work with God in the renewal, The very first thing he goes on to talk about is church. Now, modern day Christians are not at all sure if we even need to go to church to be Christian. You'll often get, in fact, there are people who you may know, people I've known who've gone to church for decades, who since COVID, etc., they haven't, they don't go back to church. And they'll say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah. But no. Not if you're willing to have your thinking shaped by the Bible. When Jesus calls the various people to be disciples. He doesn't call sort of the John to be just, it's just me and Jesus, and Peter, it's just me and Jesus, and Thaddeus, just me and Jesus, it's just my spiritual. And he calls us immediately into a community, which is why he has to talk about love one another, forgive one another, be forbearing of each other, right? Because some of us are irritating. It's one of my gifts is to irritate people. I'm sorry about that. Um, give you a chance to grow in patience and love and forgiveness and all those things. But the first thing he says is you actually, you are, if you want to understand yourself, you are a member of the body. Now I have, I haven't looked at them yet, but I have reason to believe I have two kidneys, and my goodness, they're magnificent. You know, there's, a, there's enough tubing in one of my kidneys to get to the moon and back. <laughs> right? And it's cleansing the blood better than any machine we can make. Right? The heart just keeps on Have you got a pump sitting on your farm somewhere that's been pumping happily for 67 years? Probably not. Right? This is an amazing, but what it's saying is I am like the large intestine, right? Now the large intestine does its job. It probably, if you interviewed it, doesn't realise it's part in the game. And it couldn't give you a job description what the kidney's doing, or the pancreas is doing, or the pituitary gland, or the brain, or whatever. We're just doing our thing, but we need each other. Pull the kidney out, best kidney in the entire universe, sit it up there for a few weeks, a few minutes, it's dead. You are a member of a body. You need each other. If you don't think you do, you don't know who you are, or you're not a Christian yet. This is the first thing he says. Being gathering together with God's people, and it doesn't have to be in a form but somewhere where you are regularly gathering God's people right? and, and learning, as he's going to talk about it, and being Christian together, it is absolutely essential. It's the, primary, it's the place where he starts. That's the first thing he goes to. Do. I wouldn't do that. I would never have written this like this. I remember how shocked I was the first time I realised. I thought, really, you go from there to church? And that's what he says. This is the weird first base. We are all members of each other and we belong to each other. I belong to you. Who does Ian belong to? Well, he belongs to his Alison. He belongs to the three beautiful daughters. But here's the saying, I belong to you. And you belong to me. And you will not grow healthily as a Christian. You will probably not survive as a Christian if you pull the kidney out or the pancreas or whatever else it is. That's what God is saying here. You want to be transformed? It's going to happen significantly through us using together. And then he talks about the different gifts. Now, there are a number of lists. There are three different times in the New Testament where we give lists of some of the gifts, and they're different, each one of them. Uh, there's no reason I would think to think that they're exhaustive, but this one particular one talks about two different sorts of gifts. We're not going to look at it with any detail, though I'd like to. The first one is basically word gifts, where where someone it it talks about prophesying which is telling forth the word of God prophecy is not primarily at all telling the future but it's telling forth the word of God that's what prophets do and it may sometimes have something to do with the future so prophecy if that's your gift use it if it's serving which is the same word as ministry it probably has that sense then, then serve and minister away if it's teaching then teach if it's encouraging that is getting beside people and urging them on and do it, saying, "If God has given you a particular gift, use it. Don't bury it." And then he has three other gifts of a different type. And, and it says it's the three—they're interesting. He chooses. If your gift is giving, now there's a gift very few people pray for. If you, if your gift is giving, then give generously. If your gifting is to lead, then do it diligently and carefully. If it's to show mercy, well, do it cheerfully. Now, just to be clear to people who are, you know, perhaps just just because it's Nathaniel's baptism or just for someone, we're not interested in getting a cent from you at at this church at all. But for members of the body, some of us have a gift of giving. I wonder, in order to have the gift of giving that the Bible speaks about in a number of places, you've got to have some cash or assets none of us are wealthy we all know that although we're all filthy rich but all of us i know we're all oh no i'm struggling no you've got to have both some assets and wealth which we all have and a generosity of spirit that understands this stuff i have i am a steward of my job is to give that's what he says if your gift is giving give generously um, I was listening to a guy called Dick Lucas, who's a Pommy preacher. He's 97 now. But I was listening to a talk that I found on the net um, where he, he gave it in 1970. And he was talking about this passage. And um, he talked about the fact, he said, in many churches, just a handful of people will enable, say, a new building to be built or a new youth ministry. are so the two things he picked, pay for a new youth ministry that needs to be set up or perhaps a new building. So rather than, he said, than a church having decades of debt, they've got the gift of giving. That is, they've got assets and they've got a generosity of heart. So we are likely to build. We've still got a, there's still a few decisions to make. And there's no reason at all why, why a tiny handful of people at this church with the gift of giving may give a couple of million between them which is hardly anything now, isn't it? Who'd have thought 20 years ago that a house in one house it would be a million bucks, right? But they are, bad luck like if you're trying to buy one, right? But if you happen to have one or two or three, and one's much more than you need, and, and maybe the one house you've got is huge, anyhow, so you can downside it, there's no reason at all why people in this church shouldn't say, okay, I've, got, I've inherited the house from here, and I've got, I'm gonna sell one and give all it, to, to, so that the church is not lumbered with a debt. For twenty-five years, so I'm not employing the staff we should employ so we can love and reach out to neighbours. That's just a thought. Remember, if you're here as a guest, ignore all that. But that's a gift that God gives to someone. He may have given it to you. I say it's a gift that very rarely do people pray for. If it's in leadership, if it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Right? You can, if you're a person who loves people and goes and cares, you get a bit grumpy in the end. Because you look around and think, am I the only person in this church who's loving needy people and going to visit people in hospitals, etc.?" You can get a bit grumpy. No, he says, do it cheerfully. It's an honour. Well, there's all different sorts of gifts and capacities that make up the body so it functions. Let's move on. This is the first thing he talks about. It's the, weird, it's the first weird base. Now, the last two things are everyday heroic love and then extreme heroic love. And if you're one of Jesus' people, you'll be called to both. We are called to both. Firstly, everyday heroic love, verse nine. Love must be sincere. It's possible to be hypocritical and pretend to love. Love must be sincere. This next thing I just think the Bible often says talks in ways that. The next thing he says: hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. There's much we can learn for the next few verses. It's a series of, of, of short, punchy, very short commands. It's quite different to the other 11 chapters, isn't it, where it's been, been describing what God has been doing and how much God is willing to pay for us and how it works. Now we just bang, 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 a whole lot of short jabs. The first thing we see with this is that love, sincere love, is not sentimentalism. Oh, boy, our society's so lost on this one. You can love, in fact, if you love people and you want to be helpful to, you need to hate what is evil. Now, I, you may have heard this in, in discussions now, it's a common place in societal debates about various ethical questions for people to say, don't give me that rubbish about hating the sin and loving the sinner. I'm gonna give you exactly that rubbish because it ain't rubbish. You may be incapable of doing it, but Christians have been doing it for thousands of years. Jesus did it. The Bible says here, love, love that is sincere, hate what is evil. You can say, look, this, this way of living, this thing, it's wrong. And I'm not going to pretend it's not wrong. I'm not going to obey and conform. You will be called a hater at that point, although you're not hating people. In fact, the odd thing now in our culture is, if in certain debates, if you disagree with the dominant position of the noisier people in our culture, you're called a hater immediately. No, 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 I don't hate these people. Yes, you do. So if I, if I disagree, I'm a hater. Yes. Aren't you disagreeing with me? Does that mean that you're a hater? No, 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 it's only people who disagree with me that are haters. Right? It's a great way to shut people down, because often Christians go, oh, but I don't hate the hater. I, I don't hate people. I love people, I serve people. No, no, you're a hater. No, no, whatever it is, the love he's talking about here where you really love and care for people deeply, it is not sentimentalism. It understands some things are bad for humans and that actually deeply distress God. Secondly, Love is devoted, it says in verse 10. Be devoted to one another. This is one of the many one another things in the Bible. So what is your relationship with, with brother and sister Christians? Could it in any way be described as being devoted to them? It's a strong word, devotion, isn't it? The sort of word you might lose for someone who's a supreme athlete, might be saying, I'm devoted to my training. I'm devoted to my children. Some people are devoted to their job. It's a very strong word. And this is what it means to be a healthy, transforming Christian person. That you're not in a take-it-or-leave-it relationship with brothers and sisters, but you are devoted to them. And then it uses this wonderful word, honour. Love honours one another above yourself. So I am called to honour you above myself. You're called to love one another above. It's not saying that you've got to pretend that you're stupid You've got to pretend, you've got to honour people by saying, I'm no good at anything. It's just saying, treat them with honour. You might be 10 times as intelligent, 30 times as whatever in terms of abilities, but you still treat other people with honour. That is, you treat them as more important than yourself. That life is not about getting your preferences and your way done, but it's about the service of others. You honour other people by treating them with respect, by listening to them with care and taking them seriously. So we, we, it's not sentimental, it's devoted, it's honouring others. Then it comes back to sharing. Sorry about this. Uh, what does it say there? Where's that verse? Verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. This is not the gift of giving. This is, just the, this is what love does, isn't it? If you meet a Christian in need, you love them and care for them. If you meet anybody in need, you love them and care for them. Do good to all men, the Bible says. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And brothers and sisters, I've, I've been here in this church for seven a eight years, and one of the things that has always joyfully surprised me and you, the congregations have done it again: we bring before the congregation in need. We hope to get this sort of money to, to help people in need, and without exception, in certainly since I've been here, this congregation gives these congregations give more than I had hoped for. So we wanted to raise a few thousand bucks for, the, for people in the Ukraine. We worked out how we could get money to Over 12,000 bucks was given by people, you know, just over a fortnight. We were raising money to help uh, Oscar and Eska. Esther escape Turkey. Remember that he was a Muslim in Iran, became a Christian, was so excited by Jesus. He was talking with his friends about Jesus, was arrested by the religious police, nearly died in prison with a beating. He had seven plates in his system holding his body together, broken spine, broken hand, broken teeth. And he went to Turkey, new Turkish government, they want to send him back to Iran. If he goes back to Iran, he's dead. They'll kill him. And his wife has also become Christian, Esther. So they they can't get into Australia, which they tried to. So we're we're helping raise money to get them to Canada, but it looks like they'll take them. Well, I was hoping we'd raise 5,000 bucks. Well, already, we've got another week of it. We're only doing it for two weeks. Already over $6,000. It's just enacting this, isn't it? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. You hear of a need, you've got money in your pocket or money in your bank or investments. That's what you do. It's part of being a transformed person and I've been very encouraged how often that happens here. So love is is a practical meeting of people's needs. As John says, if you see your brother in need and harden your heart, how can the love of God live in you? Let's not be actors about our love. And lastly, before we move on, Practice hospitality. There's been a phrase earlier, love of brothers. Philadelphia, that city's named after the Greek words for that. And here is the word love of stranger. Stranger love. And can I suggest that we in Canberra are not all that good as a generalisation on being hospitable. Lots of people who come to Canberra have found this to be the loneliest city they've ever lived in. Hard to make friends. Uh, so the call here is it's part of our being Christian is to love the stranger. Many of you, you do it regularly and wonderfully here in church. Someone comes in, you don't know, you're not really a mad extrovert, but the person who needs to be loved and cared for, so you go and say hello. Right? Um, or you invite them into your home. I think that was your experience, wasn't it, Jane? When Jane, Jane and Robert and, and the children arrived in uh, Australia, refugees from England, 't um, we'll let anybody in this country, but um, you know, I think it was the first Sunday. First Sunday. Bang, uh, Karen and Tim invited them back to their place. Now that some people have got an obvious gift in hospitality, but all, I think it's the sort of thing we can all do, and it 's part of being a Christian. Uh, people who've come from other cities, often from warmer climates, are the ones who notice how cool we are in inviting people to our homes um, so you might like think that's, that's part of being loving. That's everyday love. It's costly, but it's joyful, and it's what we're made for. Now, lastly, friends, extreme and heroic love. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. You are to bless those who persecute you. It assumes at times you will be persecuted. It's the word meaning hunted down. Actually, it's the word used of, just the verse before, it's what it says about hospitality. Hunt people down with your hospitality, which is not suggesting you'd be a real pest, but it is suggesting you initiate it. But here he says, there are times when you you will be persecuted. How are you to treat the person who makes your life difficult or miserable or perhaps even deadly? You are to bless them. You are not to curse them. That is, you are to speak well to them and of them to God. If you haven't had that experience, it will come. There are many other things in these verses, but let me just draw your attention to a few just because there is a bit of a theme woven into these verses. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge, dear friends. You hear what it's saying very clearly. When you are mistreated, and you will be, When you are persecuted, perhaps because you're Christian or perhaps because you're in the way of someone and they've got unresolved issues and they're just nasty and vicious and destructive, never repay evil for evil. That is, do not pay them back. I've shared with you Kerry Packers, I think he said many years ago, I'm a a good friend, but I'm a terrible enemy. I feel like saying, welcome to the primary school playground, you idiot, right? Oh, you can play payback, can you? Well, that's a good thing. Saying, we don't play payback. If you feel that you've got a right to play playback, make sure you talk with a Christian brother or sister who actually loves you enough to tell you what God says. There is no place ever for me to play payback. By goodness, it's hard. When you get mistreated deliberately and for a while by someone, even if you don't go and beat them up, which is what I sometimes think they need, a good beating, but I can't give it to them. I used to be able to give it to them, but I can't now. But um, not that I'm not tough enough. I just, you know, <laughs> Jesus won't, it's not his thing. Do not take revenge, you will want to. You will feel it's right. You may feel they need it and you're just the person to deliver it. It's forbidden for you if you follow Jesus. It's just not an option. You pray for them, not against them. It's hard, but you'll find that as you pray for the person who's made your life misery, you will find your heart and life changing uh, a number of modern-day psychological studies have found that, which is no great surprise, that the, the, the old view that I was given when I was in the 70s that what you need to do is ventilate your hate and your anger. And you do feel better for half a day, but it actually intensifies your, your long-term anger because you haven't dealt with it. You've just surfaced it again. But if you pray for the person and seek to love them, and don't get your revenge by, taking, by backstabbing them, which is a very common way that nice people do revenge. They destroy someone's character. That is what it is to follow Jesus, who did exactly that, didn't he? You know, when, when um, Philip shared that story about the man who, who prays to Jesus, Lord, remember when you come as king. I often thought, what, what did he know about Jesus? What did he see? Had he, had he seen Jesus before he was arrested for his crime? But you know, the more, the older I get, And the more of life I get to see, which isn't a great deal because I'm just like you. We all live very limited lives while we think we don't. Um, That Jesus prays for the people who nailed him to the cross. He doesn't just say nothing. He doesn't pray curses upon them, which a lot of Jewish religious people did as the Romans crucified them. They threatened that God's going to get you and rip your head off. Jesus then says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And I think that on its own may have almost convinced him, this guy's from somewhere else. So he's not just neutral, he's seeking the good of the people who shove very large nails through a part of the body where there are lots and lots and lots and lots of nerves. And yet he's praying for them. This is the Jesus way. The first Christian martyr died exactly like that. Stephen, brutally murdered by, the, by being stoned, completely unfairly no good trial at all and he prays father forgive them he learned it from Jesus that is the way of extreme love friends that we do you will be mistreated and you will have the opportunity to love as Jesus has loved now you think Ian that's stupid yes it's stupid I, I, I come from the same silly country that you do um, your question is have you got have you you got high thoughts about your own intelligence compared to Jesus Yeah, that's right. You know more than Jesus about how to live. And you know more than Jesus about what God would expect. Then what would he know? He's only the son of God. They made the universe together. And he's come in order to shine a light. But when he disagrees with us, we know who's right. It's us. That's true in personal areas. It's true in large social areas. The question is, what does Jesus think? To have a humble mind and a loving life and heart. Not only do we not take revenge, but in verse 20 it says, if you see your enemy, if you see your enemy hungry, you don't go home and break out a bottle of champagne and say, Yeah, that son of a gun, he deserves it. Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Something not to do, something to do. If they're in need, like the Good Samaritan, meet the need. Well, We do need to finish up, and it finishes up with this statement do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Many goodish people are overcome with evil. They meet someone who's nasty, heartless, cruel, psychopathic, and they learn to return evil for evil. So they've been devoured by evil. When I had the hardest year of my life many years ago, um, a man who was very kind to me, Paul Hopwood, when I had a chat with him at one stage, he said, Ian, the, the thing to make sure is I want to check, are you bitter about what's happened to you? And the people who he, he thought had mistreated me. Are you bitter? Because if you're bitter, it is the end of your life. Right? If you've been mistreated, then you can forgive and entrust it to God and let God do his thing. He will deal with people. That's what he says, vengeance is mine. Wish we had more time. And thank God that he cares you can leave the wicked evildoer with God in the end. He will deal with them uh, fairly and well. Do not allow yourself to become embittered. <laughs> I don't know if this story is true or not, but it's a great story. Um, a Christian monk walking through Persia in his one bag, which had all his stuff, there was a Bible, a prayer book, and a, some sort of, it was either a pearl or a, you know, a diamond or something, some expensive jewel. And a businessman met him who was on his way to the same direction, heading off to do business and to make a living. And he saw when they stopped at one point to get a drink. He had a glimpse in the guy's bag and he saw this very valuable thing, as ornament. And they walked on a bit longer and then the businessman thought he'd have a go. And he said, you know, dear Mr. Monk, um, I I have some financial needs and I see you have a pearl or whatever it was. Could you give it to me, please? I need it. And apparently the monk just breached in his hand and gave it to him. The business dealer suddenly really needed to walk faster, so he walked on ahead and left the, left the monk behind. He was walking at a more leisurely pace. And then the monk sees the man coming back to him. Mm-hmm, interesting. What's he going back for? And then he came back and, and, he, and he had the pearl in his hand. He said, can you give me what enabled you to give me this pearl? I, I want what you've got that enabled you to give enabled you to live like that. Now, friends, that's what you find in Jesus alone. He is the pearl of great price. He describes himself. He is is the great treasure that releases us. We get so overwhelmed by the fact that God loves me. Are you kidding me? God forgives me. Are you kidding me? God, what's up with me? It's amazing. And he says, learn to live like that. That's where the energy comes from. It's knowing Christ. It's the first, as, as Andrew said the other week, it's the first 11 chapters that give us the energy to do it even joyfully, to live this way. That's the way to go, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and our thinking of our lives to become more and more like Jesus. I know you want me to go for longer, but that's it. Let's pray. (coughs) Father in heaven, thank you that you have good plans for each of us. Thank you that you love us as we are, and yet you have far better plans in transforming us. Thank you for your patience with us, in how slow we are often to change as quickly as we'd like to, how we seem to have to learn the same lessons again and again. But thank you for the power and perfection of your forgiveness in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to take seriously this call to have a transformed life. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would become more loving this week than last, and that our minds would increasingly think about life in the way that you have shown us it is to be approached and lived. Uh, So, Father, we, we thank you for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.